Genesis chapter 4, and we're studying in particular today that last section, verses 17 to 26. And our theme today is the world today. The world today. Werner von Braun was born in Germany in 1912, and from an early age, he had dreams of flying to the moon. He became an aerospace engineer. He was a pioneer of rocket technology, and eventually he got to play a part in the first space travel efforts of the United States in the 1950s and 60s. Before that, however, von Braun, like thousands of other young Germans of his generation, was swept up and in some ways perhaps forced into the deranged deranged ambitions of Nazi Germany. The Nazis put von Braun's talents to a different use. He and his colleagues designed the V-2 rockets that carried the bombs from Germany to London during the Second World War. Commenting on the fact that his rockets had carried those bombs, von Braun at some point is said to have remarked, the rocket performed perfectly. It just landed on the wrong planet. He was a terrifically gifted man. Here's a man who discovered and harnessed world-changing technology, but it was used for the most wicked purposes imaginable. And in some ways that sums up the history of the human existence. We have made wonderful discoveries, but we have inflicted horrendous hurt. We have discovered captivating beauty, but we have often created terrible ugliness. What Genesis 4 shows us today, friends, is that this has almost always been the case throughout almost the whole history of human existence. Some people today like to talk about progression and evolution in human history, not just the the false Darwinian evolution that we reject, but evolution in the sense of things gradually getting better and better in the human race. But really the world has been the same sort of place for as long as humans have been in it. One of the the BBC's longest running news shows is on Radio 4, it's called The World Tonight. Every night at 10pm delves into the day's news from around the world. And the show's title tells you what it's trying to do. It's trying to give you a well-rounded picture of your world at this moment. Here is the world today. Well, Genesis 4, 17 to 26 does the same thing for us. Yes, it's a record of events from thousands of years ago, but it's actually telling us about the world today. What it's like, why it is the way it is, and how we are to make sense of it as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who find ourselves in this world, but who do not belong to this world. And so as we make our way through this text today, uh, three words, all beginning with E, to help you to remember and to navigate your way through it. And the first word today is the word exploration. Exploration. Verse 17 tells us that Cain at some point in his life gets married and has a family. Some commentators mentioned the miraculous fact that this man managed to get married, bearing in mind that he was the world's first murderer. But nonetheless, Cain gets married at some stage. Uh, We don't need to spend a lot of time worrying about who Cain's wife was. Um, Most commentators would suggest that this was at a time when human genetics would have been very different from what they are today. 
Uh, Likely uh, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve inherited perfect, flawless perhaps genetics. Uh, And so the situation is very different at this stage from what it is just a few hundred years later when God's law through Moses specifically forbade marriages at such close quarters. In any event, Cain marries and has children. But verse 17 goes on to say that he built a city. God had condemned Cain to a life of wandering, a life as a fugitive. In chapter 4 verse 12, instead Cain seemingly in defiance of God settles himself in one place and puts up walls to protect himself from the threats of the world around him. And there's a sense of Cain here developing a bit of a a paranoia and a lack of trust and a lack of contentedness and security as he builds this city for himself. Now, when we see the word city, we needn't think of something as large and sprawling and spectacular as London or Paris. Uh, This was probably a very basic structure, uh, more like a small fort perhaps. But nonetheless, here is the world's first fortified settlement, perhaps the world's first set of man-made walls and gates where people lived on the alert for possible attacks from outside. And Cain's children and his children's children continue to create and to develop. They, they develop technology and they develop culture. Look at verse 20. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So Jabal, if you like, is the world's first large-scale farmer of livestock. Unlike Abel, who stayed put and farmed one flock. Uh, One preacher suggests that Jabal was the first to really live as a nomad, moving all over the place, buying and trading all kinds of different livestock, uh, constantly on the move, uh, a a, a traveling businessman, if you like. Lamech's other son is called Jubal, verse 21, and we're told that he was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe So Jubal was the world's first musician. Boys and girls, maybe some of you are learning a musical instrument. Well, here's the first person in the world who played a musical instrument. Here's the human imagination at work, friends. Uh, Here's the beginning of art and storytelling and music and drama. And this was all built into the human skill set by our creator, God. It continues with Lamech's third son, Tubal-Cain, verse 22. We're told that he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The word forger there could also just mean that he sharpened or that he was a smith. Uh, we don't need to think of you know, large-scale uh, metalwork and production. Um, it's not iron metallurgy as, as, as you might know it in centuries later than this. But here's someone who began to do the earliest work of forging weapons and tools. What we're learning here, friends, is that the descendants of Cain made important developments. Here's part of the fulfillment of God's mandate for the human race. Go into all the earth, fill the earth, subdue it, make use of it, bend it to your will, develop things, business, economics, music, and art. They were all discovered by the sons of Cain. 
and simply because they originated in Cain's family, a family, as we'll consider more in a moment, who did not know and obey and worship God, that doesn't mean that any of these things are wicked in themselves. Uh, Calvin, along with many other commentators, sees this as signs of God's common grace. Uh, What we mean by that is that God gives some measure of blessing, some measure of gifts to every human being in the world, whether they uh, know him or acknowledge him or not. In fact, Calvin says, part of the purpose of God in giving these gifts to all mankind is to leave them without excuse. In other words, that deep down, every human being knows that everyone and everything has been created by God. Uh, and, And the very fact that people have the various gifts that they have, the wealth that they have, the education that they have, uh, that is, those are all things that should leave them without excuse if they do not turn to their maker in repentance and faith. And yet, of course, what we see in the world of Cain back then and what we still see in our world today is that for the vast majority of people, despite having whatever gifts they have, they do not turn to God in repentance and faith. We have wonderful things to enjoy and to some measure at least there is nothing sinful about enjoying them. Think of how communication has developed in human history. We began writing, we had letters, then we had telephones and telegrams at one stage as well. Then we had the internet, all wonderful means of communication, enabling us to see loved ones on the other side of the planet, hold a video screen of them in the palm of our hands. We had donkeys, then we had horses and chariots, now we have cars and trains and airplanes, and we've even sent rockets into outer space. And the technology for all those developments was built into creation by God. We just had to discover it and enjoy it. We have the imminent arrival of virtual reality being more and more normalized, whether for good or for bad, we've yet to find out. That's before we even consider the advancements in modern science uh, and the medical expertise that are available to us to (coughs) enjoy better physical health and strength. Now, I would imagine, I don't know, I could be wrong about this, but I would imagine that Christians have been responsible for probably very few of these world-changing developments. But nonetheless, we've all been able to make use of them and to enjoy them And much of the time, we're absolutely right to do so. Just look at the last couple of years. Imagine how much harder family and church life would have been without the technology that we had to help us, as much as we probably got sick of it after a while. For all of these things, friends, we can give thanks. James says, James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's all good gifts from God to enjoy. But we also need to recognize that these things are only things. They are only material goods or physical experiences that come and go and none of which are the ultimate purpose and cannot bring the ultimate fulfillment that all of us need. And that's the sad mistake being made by many people around us today. They they enjoy all the different types of things I've just mentioned, but they see nothing beyond these things. 
They enjoy business, education, food, drink, sport, art, whatever it is. And, and, they, and they, long, they crave more and more of these things, thinking that it's all there is to live for. For many people, particularly in societies like ours, they have so much of these good things that it's very hard for them to believe that they need anything else. When you've got surround sound accompanying a, a huge screen showing you crystal clear footage of your favorite football team or your favorite movie in your living room, when no one's coming to the door to attack you, when your bank balance is relatively healthy, when you've just had your favorite meal delivered to your door, it can be hard to believe that you really need anything else. And again, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. They're not, they're not sinful in and of themselves. It's not wrong to make use of them. I make use of some of those things. But no matter how many of those good things we get, friends, our world remains spiritually empty, hungry, and lost. And many people around us are just trying more and more and more stuff, hoping that in that stuff they will either find their salvation or they will forget that they need salvation in the first place. It's the attitude God condemned in Isaiah twenty-two thirteen: Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's what the writer in Ecclesiastes called vanity. All is vanity. It's a striving after the wind. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Here's our world today, friends, just as it was back then. Many people enjoying many wonderful things. And yet, as Jesus said to the rich young man, lacking the one thing necessary, a knowledge of God and salvation from him. So exploration. But secondly, in this passage, we see escalation. Escalation. Why is it that Cain's descendants, despite all their exploration and the progress that they made, why was it that they still lacked the most important thing? Well, in large part, it can be explained for us back in chapter 4, verse 16. Look at verse 16. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that statement is not just geographical, it is spiritual. Yes, Adam and Eve and their children were barred from going back to Eden. Yes, they lost that perfect fellowship they had with God in the beginning. They would never have that, uh, that relationship with God free from sin and perfectly enjoyable quite again in the future. But God was still willing to have a relationship with human beings if human beings approached him in the right way. And that's what we saw last time with Abel. You remember Abel offered his sacrifice and it was acceptable to God because it was offered in faith. Abel approached God in the right way with the right attitude. Cain doesn't do that. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He thought he could live without paying any more attention to God. And what Moses wants to show us here in these early chapters of Genesis, particularly leading up to the flood, is that that's how Cain's entire family lived. They followed in Cain's footsteps. And as we see in this passage, and we'll, and we'll see more of it in, in future weeks, <coughs> things go from bad to worse. There is escalation in the sins of the sons of 
Cain. As an example of that, Moses focuses in on Lamech, chapter 4, verse 19. Lamech is the seventh in the line uh, of Cain. He's the seventh from Adam in the line of Cain. And in many ways, Lamech is even worse than Cain. Look at chapter 4, verse 19. Lamech took two wives. That's the first detail of Lamech that we're told. He took two wives. What did God said when he created marriage? Genesis 2.24 A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, one wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <coughs> not three or four, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but one man and one woman. Lamech was the first person in the history of the world, friends, to redefine marriage. See, our society does these things and thinks it's being very progressive and coming up with bright new ideas and look how evolved we are and look how progressive we are. There's nothing new about redefining marriage. It's the most old-fashioned rebellion against God that you can imagine. And we should appreciate here, friends, that just because the Bible tells us that somebody did something does not mean the Bible is condoning it. Some people have the mistaken notion that bigamy or polygamy was okay in the Old Testament because people like Abraham and Jacob and David practiced it. Believers, men who in every other respect followed and obeyed God. But that's not the case. Just because the Bible tells us that these men did it doesn't mean that God was okay with it. And the Bible makes very clear in all those cases that I just mentioned that when these men practiced polygamy or adultery, it didn't turn out very well. How did it work out for Adam, for Abraham rather, with his, when he took Hagar in addition to his wife as a sexual partner? It was a mess. How did it turn out for King David, having children via all those wives and concubines? It was a mess. One of those children nearly killed David. So don't read about Lamech here and think Old Testament didn't really matter. No, there's a reason that this is the first thing we read about this man. It tells us what kind of man he was, what kind of state the world was quickly descending into in his day. Marriage was already being made a mockery by people like Lamech. But not only does he take two wives, he takes a man's life. Just like Cain, Lamech commits murder. And not only does he commit murder, but he boasts about having committed murder. Look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. The original Hebrew here rhymes. It's poetic language that he's coming out with. Lamech sings a song about killing someone. And this person that he's killed, uh, the, the translation is a young man. The language there can mean that this person was physically inferior to Lamech. So Lamech takes the, the life of someone, perhaps out of all proportion to what this person did to him. He says, I took the life of this man for striking me. And he sings a song about it. And then look at verse 24. He says, If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's 
is 77-fold. Lamech there completely twists God's words to Cain. God had shown mercy to Cain despite his sin. (coughs) God had marked Cain uh, as as a warning to others and, and promised to avenge anyone who killed him. Lamech takes God's words as a license to sin in whatever way he likes, as much as he likes. It's interesting that we're told about Lamech's murdering someone immediately after we read about Tubal Cain forging tools in verse 22. Many commentators suggest that Lamech committed murder using uh, a a tool or a weapon created by his son. And so this is the, the first time in human history that wood or metal was used in violence as a murder as a murder weapon. Escalation. Things go from bad to worse in the family of Cain. Why? Because Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain and his sons and his sons' sons are not men of God. They are men of the world. And this is what the world is like without God. This is what human beings are capable of. Fantastic, incredible incredible achievements and yet awful, wicked sin. And this is our world today. Think of all the good done with the internet. Millions of sermons uploaded. Bible teaching at the top of a screen. Communication with loved ones all across the globe. And yet at the same time, the exploitation of women and girls via pornography. The increasingly sick and twisted behavior of young men addicted to that pornography. We have social media, the greatest advancement in communication technology. And what do people use it for? People are killing each other on social media. Not physically, of course, but they assassinate people's characters. They insult people with the most vile, hate-filled speech imaginable. They boast over one another in ways similar to Lamech. Reverend Donnelly, preaching in this passage, said, We live in a splendid, complex world peopled by zombies. People are walking around, he says, in a sleepy daze. It's not so true. So many are just in a bit of a daze these days. You know, fiddling with this and fiddling with that and pouring their hearts out online and looking for hope here or purpose there. Pastor Al Martin, in his book, The Forgotten Fear, he says, what produces the addictive patterns in the use of smartphones and internet social networking? The main reason behind them, he says, is this. People passionately desire to avoid facing the reality of God's judgment. Men don't want to leave themselves alone with their thoughts for five minutes. They fear the silence that augments the sound of the rumbling of the wheels of an onrushing God coming to judge and they see themselves on the track. Men don't want to leave themselves alone with their thoughts for five minutes. Escalation. More selfishness. More perversion. More rebellion against God. More death. I was reading an article this week commenting on the, the whole situation with Ukraine. And 
commenting on the fact that there had been for all these years there was this great hope that uh, the more the more capitalism spread and and the more free free markets spread and business opportunities opened up uh, that you know it would it would improve human existence and relations between countries for i don't know how many years it was there was a record that there had never been a war between two countries that each had at least one mcdonald's restaurant in them well what happened in moscow this past week or two people queued up for their last big mac and the spread of capitalism and McDonald's and everything else has not stopped a horrific war coming to European soil. Escalation. That's what we see when we look at our world today. And it's because, like Cain, men and women have gone away from the presence of the Lord. But it's not the end of the story. We've seen exploration in this passage, we've seen escalation. Uh, But thirdly and finally, we see exaltation. Exaltation. In other words, worship. Moses doesn't just tell us about the line of Cain. He also tells us here about the line of Seth. Look at verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. The original language there emphasizes a sense of expectation. And I was a bit torn between expectation or exaltation for this third point. So you can take your pick. But there's a sense of expectation in the arrival of Seth. His name means appointed one. And here we see Adam and Eve's faith, if you like, friends, rekindled. They had lost their son Abel in the most heartbreaking shocking circumstances but their hope now is that Seth will be like a new Abel in fact there's a running theme throughout the whole passage of a new Abel appearing Lamech's children are called excuse me Jabal Jubal and Tubal Cain and all of those sound a bit like Abel and Abel seems to become this idealized figure he was the the son of Adam and Eve that God was most pleased with before he died. He was the one blessed and approved by God. But of course, none of these others are anything like Abel. They have their accomplishments, but they don't worship God. They are sons of Cain. They live away from the presence of the Lord. But when Seth arrives, Eve expresses renewed faith, perhaps a new godly family will emerge perhaps Seth is the appointed one for that purpose and that's exactly what happens look at verse 26 to Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord and that phrase call upon the name of the Lord that's used all over the Old Testament that's that that's talking about worship That's talking about people coming and doing what Abel had done, offering sacrificial worship to God, seeking the blessing of God, trusting in the covenant mercies of Yahweh. That's what Abel had done. That's now what Seth and his family do as well. And Moses wants us to see here, friends, the contrast. Cain walks away from the presence of God in arrogance and pride. Seth and his family 
come towards God in humility and faith. They may be in the world, but they are not of the world. We'll explore this more next week in chapter 5 as we compare these two lines of Cain and Seth further. But essentially what we have during this pre-flood era, which bear in mind lasts for over a thousand years, what we have is the offspring of Satan and the offspring of God, the family of the world and the family of God. And for a relatively short time leading up to the flood, the church is one family on earth. It is the family of Seth. And the rest of the world is the family of Cain. And although in our time today, of course, the family of God is made up of people from all the ethnicities and nations of the world. Nonetheless, friends, this contrast still exists. This is still our world today. There is the offspring of Satan and there is the offspring of God. How do you know which you belong to? Easy. Do you call on the name of the Lord? Do you live only for the culture and the money and the luxury and the good times of life in this world? Or do you live for the glory of your King, your Shepherd, your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your life marked by escalation? You just keep looking for more comfort, more good experiences, and it gets you nowhere. Or is your life marked by exaltation? That is the lifting up of the name of God in worship. Eve called Seth her appointed one. The one who would take Abel's place and approach God and possibly even redeem her family's sin. Seth was not the appointed one. He couldn't undo the curse. He couldn't take away his family's sin. But he did lead his family in worship. And it was Seth's descendants, Noah and his family, who survived the flood. And it was Seth's descendants, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who received God's covenant promises. And it was into Seth's family line that eventually the Lord Jesus Christ, the appointed one, would come. Jesus Christ, of course, is our way to God. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one can come back into God's presence except through me. The world around us is looking for joy, for life, for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Seth's family, those who called upon the name of the Lord, they must have looked increasingly foolish to the wicked world around them, to Cain's descendants. Cain's family would have been saying to them, what do you need to call the name of God for? Come and enjoy our music. Come and get excited about our latest technologies and discoveries. Come and make some money with us. Trade with us. Live with us. Progress with us. But Seth's people knew where to draw the line. They knew that their redemption didn't lie in the next great innovation or having the biggest stack of weapons or hearing the most beautiful music. Their trust was in the God who made them, the God that they could approach in faith, the God who ruled the world and everything in it. 
And similarly today, friends, the world mocks us, hates us, belittles us for making God rather than money or work or sex the center of our lives. Boys and girls, the world will mock you if you do that. But we believe in God's appointed one. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who can take away the sins of the world. We believe that he will come again and that he will make all things new. Give us a whole new world to discover free of the sin that ruins the world that we've been discovering these last few thousand years. So here's our world today, friends. There is exploration, good things to be discovered, enjoyed, and used for God's glory. There is escalation, sinners making some of those good things into idolatrous things, turning their backs upon God. And there is exaltation, as the family of God call upon him in worship. Which is it for you? Are you in this world and away from God? Or are you in this world but not of this world? Because your trust is in the appointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.